Hello and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode number 117, and I'm your co-host, Nigel. I am Tazzy, content creator and co-host. And as always, we're here bringing you interesting discussions with diverse voices, and to help us out today with our discussion of Up is My Matter Story Editor, Lara Lee Green. Lara Lee, welcome back to the show. Hi, it's been a while. It has been a while. I, uh, I did a control F uh, on your name on our show notes and I had to go all the way back to episode 58 when we spoke about Pacific Rim. And I was sure wow. you'd been on since then, but uh, apparently yeah, I not. think I, I was probably supposed to be. I didn't like Pacific Rim, did I? I don't think I did. <laughs> no, I don't think. I think we, it wasn't like a hate, it wasn't an animosity yeah. thing. It was just a, yeah, because we've had the animosity episodes uh, <laughs> <laughs> a couple of times so that was a that was just a nice acknowledgement of uh, it wasn't the best film but <laughs> can still be watched so uh, i'll put that in the show notes if people want to hear the uh, lukewarm reception that we had to pacific rim actually it came up uh, in another recording so uh, there's something about that so uh, you can subscribe to story x story on apple podcast on spotify and wherever you get your podcast from uh, you can also send us your feedback and questions to feedback at mymatter.com Throw them at us on social media. We are at MyMatter on Twitter, at MyMatter TV on Instagram and TikTok, or at Tazzy on all the above. You can also join the Studio 77 Discord to be part of the MyMatter universe and meet others in the community. Also consider becoming a Studio 77 member to support the work that we do at MyMatter and get exclusive access to events and artwork as well. And speaking of events and artwork before we get into today's story discussions let's update you with the latest from the Maya Matter universe we have some manga updates we are currently working in the background on our do i look like a gamer campaign manga which will detail the journey of the campaign this year from the perspective of the Maya Matter universe's characters so uh, meta within meta there but it's going to be a resource pack as well so some of the things that we've learned some of the resources from supporters from sponsors uh, pointing people in a direction of things that they might want to look more into when it comes to the video games industry design networking things like that so we're going to be putting that together before the end of this year's campaign and it will be available at uh, different events as we go into next year and digitally as well so something for young people for parents for educators um, we also have our usual lineup of manga including the latest serious through the fog which is our story about a pandemic that was made during the pandemic and features blake serious in his toughest adventure yet having to go through a lot of what we have all been through over these past couple years or 10 years decade uh, however long it's been so you can check that out we have Studio 77 activities for people to jump into. Uh, depending on when you are listening to this, uh, you can either catch the September chat I had with comic artist and writer Chris Manson, or you can check out the highlights that we're going to put on YouTube. If you are a Studio 77 member, uh, you'll be able to get the full video even after it's disappeared from Twitch. So Casual Conversations with Comic Creators is the monthly chat that I have with a different comic creator as we look to uncover the human behind the art form. So the next discussion will be with colorist and illustrator Erin Angelini, and that will be on Tuesday, the 4th of October from 7.30 p.m. 
BST. Uh, we also have our games night. So on Thursday, 29th of September, we'll be playing another new game, Minecraft this time around with Studio 77 members from 7 p.m. BST. You can also check out the highlights from past games nights on YouTube and make sure you follow us on Twitch so you can see future games nights and casual conversations and all the other things that we'll be putting up in the coming months. So we have some physical events uh, as well. So we're going to end the year with, we have three in-person events or some of them are hybrid events as well. So we have a event at the BFI for the Halloween season. We'll be bringing spooky games to the BFI South Bank. Halloween season for an evening of console games, VR games, and tabletop games as well. And um, we'll also be taking over a screening room for Quarry, right, Tazzy? The Quarry. Yeah, qu the Quarry. I don't know why I keep forgetting that. <laughs> so we're going to hook up an Xbox to a massive screen and then let people just scare themselves uh, in that room. So come down for that. Discounts are also available for people in costume and cosplay. Uh, and we'll be looking out for the best dressed on the night. So definitely get creative. Come and join the party. It's going to be a really cool evening of video games. Looking a bit ahead, we have tickets available for the next Gamepad Online event, which is going to be live from Samsung KX in King's Cross. I mentioned hybrid events. So it's going to be a live stream, but it's going to be a live stream that we'll be producing in studio at Samsung. So we're going to bring... Uh, our teams in our gamepad esports tournament we're going to be bringing our interviews with games industry professionals we're going to be bringing our host tazzy in person everyone's going to be all in the same room and an audience so you can join us you can be part of the studio audience for this next gamepad online event cheer on the teams ask your questions to our games industry guests and just you know soak in the atmosphere samsung have a really nice space so we're looking forward to coming back and doing something a little bit different this time but if you are interested in coming in person make sure you get your tickets quick because seating will be limited so there'll be some seats left it will be free for this first event so if you want to do that head to gamepad.events um, but you can always watch online on the my matter twitch as well and we have an event for our Do I Look Like a Gamer campaign, which is our campaign around diversity and inclusion in the video games industry that we launched earlier this year. So you can go to looklikeagamer.com to see the 40 players and makers that we launched the campaign with and check out those photos. You can head to the My Matter YouTube to see different segments from our launch live stream and you can get involved. So on Wednesday, the 26th of October, we have our final, I guess this will be the final campaign event of 2020. So Games Industry Explained. We'll be at Gravity in Wandsworth, South London for a game careers event focused on parents and educators and giving them a better insight into how games are made from the people who are making them today. So what we want is for young people to come with, like we say, parents, relatives, uh, educators, and then to get a better idea of the video games industry as a career path. So looking at different roles, different stages of the game making process, and hopefully everyone leaves with a better understanding of what it means to work in video games. And we're gonna be doing this across three different quick fire panels. Once all the talking is done, we're also gonna talk a bit about esports because that's another part of the games industry. And we're gonna do this by playing esports, so, or playing esports games. So we're going to head to Gravity's Esports Arena after all the talking is done for some Knockout City. So we're going to be doing a team-based 
esports tournament with the people in the space. The event will be starting at 11 a.m. BST and then also be live streamed on the MyMeta Twitch. So if you can't be there in person, you can watch online as well. The full details are on Eventbrite right now. Link in the show notes or just head to looklikeagamer.com and check that out. Uh, the campaign is being sponsored by Rocksteady Studios and Splash Damage and their support means we're able to do these different events and make them free for people uh, to attend, uh, to check out. So thank you for their support and uh, yeah, we hope to see people there. So now you're all caught up with what's been happening with Mayamada. Let's talk about some of the stories we've been enjoying this week. So we're going to have a spoiler-free discussion about what stories people have been reading, watching, or playing. So we'll start with our guest, Laura Lee. Um, I was just saying before, I've just got um, an Apple TV subscription free for three months. So I don't know if I'm going to keep it. But um, I've watched, I think the last thing I've watched was Trying, which is about a couple who, it's their journey to being parents and it's really funny and it's not something that I was expecting to laugh at but that's really good I like stories where I mean the centre of it is something quite upsetting but they've managed to bring comedy into it and it's really quite funny so I've been enjoying that and Severance um, which is lots of people talk about on Apple TV um, with the concept being We've got a guy who goes to work and when he and the concept of severance is when you go to work, your worker life and your outside life is severed. So you don't know what you work as or what you do as at work. You go into the building and then you have your persona at work. And then as soon as you leave work, you forget everything. They've they've severed your brain basically um so it's got lots of twists and turns in that one um i think there's going to be season two but i've just watched the first season those are the two stories i mean severance has been i think it's been mentioned a couple of times now on the podcast by yeah by i, I guess. Jed boy up. yeah i definitely want to need to dive into that one now, do, you, do you think you're going to watch that at some point as well i would need access to apple tv <laughs> but other that than that arranged okay <laughs> cool say no more um but yeah i, I do like this the sound of that. i think it's something it's one of those shows that i feel asked the question of would you put yourself through this uh, and i like those because it it makes you think and i always like things that kind of challenge your thinking whether you agree with it or not mm, definitely so i started a new book i've kind of given up on the witcher Okay. Which is funny because I really enjoyed it the first time I read it through, and this time I'm just not enjoying it. <laughs> but so I'm reading Which Way to Hollow's Bay, which is the second. In... Did you just go like to the next book in the shelf, like the which are which way to Hollow's Bay? <laughs> <laughs> I I see how it might sound like that, but it was because I recently got into tarot. And then I was just like, I really need like a really witchy book to read. And I think I mentioned the first book when I was reading that on the podcast. So yeah, this is the second in the series called Brimstone Bay Mysteries, which is a modern witch. He's also a journalist. And in this supposed to be quiet little town that she's moved to from New York, 
uh, actually has a lot going on to kind of like investigate those crimes <laughs> that are happening um, and everything's kind of like woven together and you don't know yeah kind of kept on your toes of who's committing these crimes so yeah and because it's a small town like she's really involved in the the investigation there's lots of other like magical mystical things about this town <laughs> um so yeah i'm really enjoying that it's a nice like light easy read and the first one i actually got through amazon do free kindle books and they just some kindle books go free so the first one i found it through that and then the second one i bought because i was like i really do enjoy it that's how they get you yeah that's how they get you but it's good because i'm like just supporting a, a writer right um so, so is it free was it free entire books? No, it was just the first book that was free. That's what they used to just do, like, um, the first few chapters. Oh, no, no, yeah, they do entire books. They do, like, free books. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I'm always, on like, I always check out the free books every now and again and just, like, get them and see what they're about. And then I've been watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I previously, previously started watching, like, I, like, when it first sort of was airing on tv and i've sort of like caught up to where i got to when it was originally airing on tv because i sort of like never went back to it for whatever reason so yeah i'm excited about that because it's like finally actually watching the rest of that that uh, series and getting to know what actually happens in that story and then the last story that i want to talk about is batman unburied which is a podcast audio story i guess <laughs> so it's, i don't know what you call that or um audio, like audio drama yeah yeah it's just like it, it's a batman story it's it's really funny it's more of the like investigatory batman stuff i'm sort of like a couple episodes into that i think there's like maybe 10 episodes that sounds interesting. Yeah, it is. It's pretty interesting. Especially the start of it. The first episode is like, I'm like, what's going on here? But yeah. What about you, Nigel? What, what stories have you been? Yeah. So I have been watching a show called Odd Taxi, which has come up on a podcast. Yeah. Uh, I realized it's been, I had a friend recommend it to me ages, maybe, well, I say ages ago, like last year. And then it came up on the podcast a few times. Um, so mm -hmm. I recently got a Crunchyroll account. So I thought, all right, let's uh, let's start watching some things that have been mentioned. So started watching it, and it's it's not what I expected in a good way. So it's about a what is he a walrus? Uh, so it's a, all the characters are anthropomorphic, which you know, uh, selling point for me. But it's about this um, uh, cab driver who can't sleep, and it's just him interacting with people. He's transporting as he takes their takes their fares, but then you kind of see his life so i've only watched i think like two or three episodes i'm very early but you're kind of seeing some of his life uh, i get the sense you're seeing how the different people that he interacts with connect like how people connect mm -hmm. and then you're also getting like there's there's some kind of mystery happening and it's really good at doing the the cliffhanger but i feel not in a cheap way because just watching the first episode and seeing things unfold and then the way it ends is like, oh, well, I got to know what happens here. And it did again for the second episode. It's like, oh, something, there's something developing uh, there. And it's very, um, 
uh, I guess like introspective, which I was always appreciate. But the way the the dialogue, what the characters talk about, uh, and how again I assume it feeds into the wider story that's unfolding is like explores different topics, talking about like social media, even talking about like comedy. It's just yeah, interesting. Uh, it's more interesting than I thought it would be as backhanded a compliment as, as that sounds. <laughs> oh, I'm really glad that you are diving into it. I just the story unfolds so well. Mm. I would say. Yeah, I'm getting that impression of there's there's a plan here. Like there's it's there's an intentional. Obviously, all these things are intentional stories, but there's definitely something that's being unpacked step by step, and I like that. So yeah, I'll feedback on that as this story develops. Uh, another thing I have been watching, I feel I've been doing more watching than anything lately, but watching season three of Mr. Robot, which is just such a good show and such a competent show. Again, I feel like I'm sort of dabbing with faint praise uh, <laughs> with these stories. But so it's a story of a hacker, basically. Elliot is this very advanced cybersecurity expert slash hacker uh, but he has like issues with anxiety uh, and when the the whole story starts so season one he's working for a cybersecurity firm while also being part of an organization that's trying to bring down this sort of evil conglomerate literally called evil corp so he's a bit of a anarchist in in that sense as well so i won't go too much into season three because like a lot of Things have happened, so I don't want to spoil that. But what you see in season three is start to see some of the character motivations. The way season two ends, it ends on a. I think we spoke about on Umbrella Academy. The way it ends on like a, or you have to know what happens like immediately. It ends on that kind of thing. So season three picks up like right away from where season two left off and kind of de delves deeper into some of the character motivations and the aftermath of what happens in the previous seasons. Because it's a show around hacking, uh, to use that term, when I first started watching it, I had a, I don't know if skepticism is the right word. So because I so used to be a, a software engineer, not a hacker, even though a lot of the kids in the workshops, when I mention this, they assume that uh, the two are the same. They're not. But it does uh, mean I watch certain things with a different eye. I'm like, does this look real, basically? And this show looks real. I don't know. Uh, what kind of lengths they've gone to, but it's clear that they've got someone who understands what what this process should look like. And they're always like licenses taken with, you know, for adapting for TV and making things look entertaining, but it looks very authentic. Um, it's a very authentic, competent show and just the complexities of it as well. It's a very complex show, again, in a good way, but you just have to sort of pay attention like as things are unfolding because there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of moving parts in this show, but I really enjoy it and uh, yeah, just looking forward to getting more into season three. Have either of you watched that? No. It's, it's yeah, it's a really good show. It's just, yeah, I want to say a lot, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've had it like recommended before, but for me, it sounds like, it sounds like a great show, but for me, I feel like it sounds like something with like, that needs too much attention. I don't know. It does need a lot of attention, so it depends how you feel about that. Uh, but I will say it's like one of the shows where just genuine shocks <laughs> for me, like genuine, <laughs> I did not see that coming kind of, well, did that just happen kind of shocks that, yeah, it's just, it's a really good show. I will leave that it at that. That's my favourite thing. That is my favourite thing where I'm just gobsmacked. 
yeah, like I was, that's a good word. I was like, some of the stuff that happens, I was gobsmacked. I had to like, like, am I okay? Like, is <laughs> the world is and like just touch ground and just make sure everything's okay. So yeah, I recommend that. And I'll end by touching on Demon Slayer because I've now finished season one. And the last time I brought this up, Tazzy, you said, this might be something you want to watch. I said, I'll wait until I finish season one to give my report. Here's my report. Um, probably not for you. <laughs> it's, it's the, it's the, it's, but it's interesting because I've been thinking about it since you brought it up because I think there have been a few shows where you've kind of asked me, is this something that you would you'd be into? I think one was Winning Time, very basketball-heavy show. Another mm. was Kirko's Basketball, again, another basketball-heavy show. And then this one. And I think on the spectrum of should Tazzy watch this, at the top, I put Winning Time, which I think is just a, a quality show, regardless of if, whether you like basketball or not. Okay. Uh, around the middle is Kirko's Basketball, which I think is a fantastic show. I think just goes into the Yes, You Should, just because of the the themes about around the character and never giving up and you know the anime stuff but it just does it so <laughs> the well anime stuff, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, very inspirational and then i'd probably say the no category is demon slayer for you and that's not to say it's not a good show i really enjoyed it and i'm definitely going to be watching season two but it is a it's a re- very refined shonen mm-hmm. anime and as you said you'll put off shonen then yeah it's probably not <laughs> probably not for you Cool. Thank you for that that considerate um, <laughs> answer to that question. Because I feel like a lot of people, when I say that, they're just like, yeah, because it's such a great show. Rather than I'm like, I get that it's a good show, but is it a good show for me? Yeah, probably <laughs> isn't. I'm not saying don't watch it. I'm just saying of those three that I've laid out, that's what I feel would be the... I feel like there's winning. enough shows for me to watch that I don't need to spend my time on one that isn't a must watch. All right, this could all change in season two. I might come back and say, nope, <laughs> I reverse that. you got to go see it. But I mean, <laughs> to be fair, like The Great Pretender is one of those ones that, Ooh, no, that the, was, uh, the payoff yeah, is, yeah. I don't care what you think of the rest of the show. The payoff is so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that was one yeah. way, because you started it and then I came and finished it and then said, you have to watch this. Yeah. That was one just, yeah, without question, just, I don't care what you think. <laughs> you have to go watch this. Uh, have you seen that, Lara Lee? No, but it's now nice. Okay, fire up Netflix. I think- <laughs> go watch Binge that. The whole lot. Yeah. I'm currently, right now, um, just ended trying because that was the last thing I've seen. So I'm right, I'm ready to watch something new right now. Yeah, I know I started with Demon Slayer, but Great Pretender is <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Make it what you will. I need more Great Pretender. I need a. I need the next season. So, all right, before we turn this into a Great Pretender uh, podcast, <laughs> those are the stories that we've been enjoying. And now let's get to our main story discussion. Today, we're going to be talking about Up, the 2009 animated film produced by Pixar and released by Walt Disney Pictures as everything seems to be today. The film was co-written and directed by Pete Doctor and Bob Peterson, and it stars the voices of Ed Asner, Christopher Plumner, Georgian, Jordan Nagai, and Bob Peterson, again, um, did some writing, did some voice acting. Uh, so spoiler alert, we are now going to get into all the spoilery details uh, that we have time for. So if you haven't seen it, stop, watch it, come back and uh, listen to us do a breakdown of this story. So I will recap the story, but before I do that, 
let's first get everyone's quick take and general impressions, starting with our guests. So, Lara Lee, what did you think about this story? I liked it, but I couldn't get past the brilliance of the first 10 minutes that totally rocked me. Mm. And then now I have to kind of calm down <laughs> and watch the rest of it. <laughs> so, I wish it was just that film. I just wish it was a 10 minute movie and then another movie. And then a completely separate, separate detachment. That's interesting. Okay, I, I get that. Tazzy, do you agree with that? You think something different? I think something different, yeah. Oh, so I think for me, like, uh, I didn't want to rewatch it because I was like, I don't know if I'm prepared to be yeah. sad. Um, <laughs> but I think watching it, I don't know if this is like maybe my third time watching it. So like, I've built up enough resilience. <laughs> that I, uh, you can take that it. That yeah, it doesn't make me super sad. Whereas the first time I watched it, I was like bawling. <laughs> <laughs> this time it was just like a few tears leaked. But it, I think it was such an enjoyable film, and I just love the premise. And it's just it's just wholesome and sweet and lovable. Mm. Is is a lot of that I will say. So this, along with uh, what's the other one, uh, Ratatouille, were my Pixar Hall of Shame of uh, ones I had not seen. Don't know why. But because uh, as much as I like Pixar, I just hadn't seen this. Uh, but I had heard a lot about it and particularly the first 10 minutes. Uh, I now understand why. So every so often we'll do a story. I know, Tazzy, you've mentioned this where something just comes at the right time for us to discuss or like a coincidental time where it's kind of meaningful uh, just in, in life. And I feel this is my turn to, uh, to say this is like some kind of meaning in, in this film. Because um, for better or for worse, like I, I did identified with Carl in this. So there's a lot of like additional meaning for me in terms of the themes of this story. But as a story itself, and we'll talk about all aspects, it's just a really well done. I mean, I get what Lara Lee's saying about in, in some ways it kind of, the first 10 minutes almost feel separate. To the rest, obviously it's not because it directly feeds into character motivations and everything. But yeah, those first 10 minutes are such a like masterclass in storytelling and in, in non-verbal storytelling as well. It just feels like something so unique. And then you go into the rest of the film itself. Great. But I just, I can get where you're coming from in terms of it feels separate. But I really enjoyed this. I felt the way it was put together. I was enjoyed talking about themes. Uh, we always, we, we tend to get very deep into animated films i don't know that seems to be a running theme of this podcast and i feel like this episode is not not gonna disappoint it so if you if you came here you've listened to story x story before and thought like gonna listen to some deep themes around an animated uh ostensibly kitsch show yeah that's what's gonna happen so <laughs> let me do the recap and we'll dig a bit deeper uh, so this is a story that takes us to 10-year-old Carl Fredrickson, who is watching footage of Charles Muntz, an explorer who vows to clear his name after being accused of presenting a fake giant bird skeleton from Paradise Falls in South America. Carl soon beats fellow Muntz fan Ellie, who shares her desire to move her clubhouse to a cliff overlooking Paradise Fall. The two eventually marry, with Carl working as a balloon salesman and Ellie a tour guide at the zoo. After Ellie suffers a miscarriage, the couple refocuses and begins saving for that trip to Paradise Falls, but are constantly forced to spend their savings on more urgent needs. Carl decides to arrange the trip as a surprise for Ellie, but on that day, she falls ill and dies soon after. 
In the present, and now retired Carl stubbornly stays in his house while the neighborhood around him is being rebuilt. When an enraged Carl hits out at a construction worker who damages his mailbox, he is ordered by the court to relocate to an assisting living, living facility. But instead, Carl turns his house into an airship using a ton of helium balloons. So Russell, an eight-year-old wilderness explorer looking to earn his final merit badge for assisting the elderly, becomes an accidental stowaway. Before Carl can land and send Russell home, they both get caught up in a storm that sends the house to South America. The house lands just opposite Paradise Falls, so Carl and Russell will harness themselves to the house and begin to walk it to where it needs to be. On the way, they meet a large and colourful bird that Russell names Kevin. They then meet Doug, a golden retriever who wears a collar with a device that translates his thoughts into speech. A pack of similarly talkative dogs take the group to their master, and now elderly Charles Muntz, who talks about his search for the bird. Carl soon realises that Charles' obsession has driven him mad, and when Russell reveals their link to Kevin, Muntz turns hostile. Carl, Russell and Doug flee, but Charles uses a tracking device on Doug's collar to follow them and capture Kevin. He also starts a fire beneath Carl's house, forcing Carl to choose to save his home over Kevin and resentfully completes the trek to the falls. When he gets there, Carl looks through Ellie's scrapbook and discovers she's filled the blank pages with photos of their marriage. There is also a note thanking him for the adventure and encouraging him to have a new one. After this, Carl heads outside where Russell has decided to leave to save Kevin. So Carl lightens his house by throwing out furniture and keepsakes and floating away. Charles has captured Russell, but Carl and Doug free him along with Kevin. An intense battle aboard ensues in the process and Carl falls to his death. The house loses too many balloons and descends out of sight, at which point Carl decides just to let it go. So Carl and Russell get Kevin back to her chicks before returning home themselves. Russell finally receives his assisting elderly badge and the house lands on the cliff besides Paradise Falls, fulfilling Carl's promise to Ellie. The end. So this is yet another Pixar film directed by Pete Doctor that we're covering. So we've previously done Inside Out and Soul. And I feel like he has this ability to just like go in... To, uh, like deep into the psyche, pull something out and craft a story uh, around it. So in uh, there's a blog about the development where he wrote that up started as my desire to escape everyone and get away from the craziness of the world. So what's interesting, put this out, see what you think about this, is that the original concept of this story featured a floating city on an alien planet with two brothers vying to inherit their father's kingdom and when the brothers fell to earth they encountered a tall bird who helped them understand each other what do you make of that original story idea and also what does that say about the process of like making stories oh wow yeah <laughs> that, is a, that is a different story it's completely different. <laughs> So I kind of want to. I want to see that film as well. Yeah, like, but I just I don't understand how it would get from that to what up ended up as. Yeah, I think it's like um because I I think he you start with something that you want to say with the film and then you kind of explore different ways to say it and I guess it's like your first idea isn't always mm. the best idea, but it gets you to a place where you then go or maybe they went you know just just doesn't work for whatever reason but we want to keep the element of like floating we want to keep 
apparently the bird, <laughs> the tall bird, uh, <laughs> stayed in there. And then uh, I don't know. You just have to like take bits out and keep that to that original vision, but just do it in a uh, along a yeah. different path. And then another, uh, just throwing out like production notes, but interesting thing. And I feel this kind of ties to the themes as well, where, so the name of the antagonist kind of comes from uh, a real place. So I read this on Film School Rejects uh, and it says back in 1928, Charles Mintz famously disputed with Walt Disney about the production of the Oswald the Lucky Rabbit comic series, resulting in Mintz winning production rights for the character. And because of this, Walt Disney ends up creating Mickey Mouse and, you know, the rest is literally uh, history. So (laughs) some inspiration taken there uh, as well. I actually know about the story. I just didn't know the names and I guess they've taken uh, the name, adapted it for this show. But it kind of, I guess, ties in with, I mean, we'll talk about themes later, but like holding on to something, whereas Walt Disney was able to let things go. And then eventually came with massive success. And uh, we all know what uh, Mickey Mouse went on to do. Yeah. And then as for the story itself, we can talk about that. So uh, I'm trying to think where to start. I guess what's interesting to me about this story, it kind of proves the the case of you can come up with anything as long as it's tied to some kind of like theme story structure, because like this is a hero's journey. But if you look at sort of individual pieces, like where does he get all these blues from, tying it to his house, floating off, going into a storm, landing in the place that it needed to be, it kind of can be somewhat contrived. I mean, all stories are contrived, but because everything ties to the theme of Carl's journey and him needing to change, it just all makes sense. I don't know if anyone found any part in Carl's journey that they resonated with more than others. Um... I don't know if there's anything I resonated with in Carl's journey in particular. I think probably the wider theme of being able to let things go and move on and clear your life for the next adventure because I was really doing that. That that echoes my kind of of trying to be a lawyer kind of thing and should I have let it go? Because I could have been doing bigger and better things, but I was so stubborn. And I think I had that streak in me where I've started, so I'll finish. So maybe similarly, he's got that. I've started. I wanted to go to this, but he he's he's done it for for love, and I'd just done it because I'd said it when I was six. <laughs> <laughs> you said it, and there's no take backs. <laughs> All right, I want to talk more about the hero's journey, but we have to go to those first ten minutes because that's just worth a whole kind of segment in itself so like i said i feel the first 10 minutes are just absolutely brilliant i'd heard about them before anytime up gets mentioned the whole the the first 10 minutes so i was kind of it's one of those things where it had been built up but because it's actually so good it's like yeah okay that that makes sense and i think this is so for people who either you don't care about spoilers and you're still listening or it's been a while since you've seen it uh, so we have this montage of Carl's life because when we first see him he is that 10 year old boy filled with wonder and we see him meet Ellie we see their lives together we see them struggle we see the loss and we see the impact it's had on Carl and not a word was said but it gets you in the place like emotionally with Carl so it then connects to the actual inciting incident of the film which is Carl losing his temper 
and striking this construction worker. But because we've seen those first 10 minutes and what that mailbox means, we understand the actions that he that he takes in that. So I don't know in terms of like the, the montage, was there something in the montage specifically that that particularly touched either of you or just the whole the whole piece? Um, I think it was the whole piece. Yeah, it was definitely the whole piece. But um, I love when you can tell such a detailed story within a really short amount of time. And that's what I loved about it. It took you on a complete, and that's what I was saying about the kind of, I haven't finished the movie now, I've seen this bit. (laughs) Maybe, okay, this is part two or film two will be the rest of it. But I need to sit down and think about what I've just seen. (laughs) And then give you that time. And, And it's totally needed for the rest of the film. But just like, I just felt like it was so compact. It told you everything you needed about the characters that these two children that that were friends that fell in love that suffered a really hard time mm. and then how they got through it and i guess when i've just said that it it's kind of that's what happens in the film isn't it it's just okay so um colin and his wife wanted to have a child they couldn't that was that was supposed to be where their their journey was going and it didn't go there so then they forged a different different journey so i guess that echoes the the rest of the film but it was just telling all of that in such a poignant way that could pull on heartstrings in such a short amount of time which is really great i think it's the like music composition that goes alongside it yeah that just yeah it gives it this like emotional silent movie montage thing and like you said it just i think it sets you up for the messages you're about to be fed i guess (laughs) and like that just continuous reshaping i and i think one of the bits that really stands out to me is obviously they've got their like saving jar yeah and then the their tire goes so they have to smash it and then and then he like what breaks a leg or something and then so they have to use that money and then like just all these things keep happening (laughs) that they need to use that money and i guess i guess i mean you asked earlier what what's the relatable bit of carl's journey i think that's the relatable bit (laughs) but um yeah i sort of think that's sort of like just sort of like establishes that goal and I think it just says a lot just in those those short moments and again just sort of like echoing what both of you have said just it's such good storytelling without like monologue and in such a short short space of time we've kind of watched a whole movie and then <laughs> like this film is a two-parter but the first part took 10 minutes and then you could <laughs> It just makes me think about how bad other movies are because I think oh, what, <laughs> mentioned you got, it like a, a few... whole nine minutes and they can't tell a story that yeah. this is managed in ten minutes. <laughs> a few times where we're like, you know, why did you struggle to just explain that, or why did you have to like repeat yourself constantly? Like, just mm. show us, don't tell us. And this does all of that and sets it up quite nicely so that you don't have questions. Everything's been told. Yeah told so well and it also so won an academy award for best original score and also a grammy award for best instrumental composition uh, on behalf of michael uh, giacchino who i hope i'm pronouncing it right yeah that portion has won awards as the film has as well and i think it's also interesting from a 
creating a story perspective how you know we we watch like the film we watch stories and obviously we watch them sequentially so we watch them from beginning to end but it's like when they're made they're made in all sorts of random orders so this scene for example we had or they had the the core concepts of the film which was always to have the house float into the sky with balloons but then they needed a reason why carl would do that which is quite a drastic thing like why would he do that so it's not like they started the film with this clean 10 minutes in mind it was we have this concept uh well i guess they already know it's not going to be aliens falling from (laughs) from space but we have this this house this balloon this character that takes this drastic step why would he do that so now we need to figure out what would motivate this character to do that and i was like sort of story making as almost like a puzzle like i always see it as that it's like you're trying to hit certain beats and certain motivations and needing to construct ways to do that and from a almost like a mechanical uh, viewpoint on it but trying to figure out something and then you get to the the art of it which is then you put together this sequence then you put together the uh, which are the visual which are the moments that we're going to show visually you put together the music and then you just tie in it to that 10 minutes and it's just brilliant and then the other thing it, it does do from a story perspective is it ties us the audience to Carl because we now understand like everything uh, that we need to about Carl and we have that emotional uh, connection uh, with him so he becomes like a sympathetic protagonist and then when we see him take the actions we understand why he would do what he then does and i agree with you tazzy i think uh, i mean the whole thing stood out to me but just that savings jar and i think because they smashed it like they could have just tipped it out each yeah. time but it's like <laughs> they smashed it and it's just like you felt that ah that's just yeah it's just, just something about that that's particularly touching yeah so i mentioned the hero's journey as well uh, i won't go through the whole thing but there's some like interesting beat so hero's journey is a particular type of storytelling and there can be times when people are writing stories and they don't want to follow a quote-unquote formula because you know you you do something that's already been done before but like i said this is an example of taking something that in a sense we've seen before because you know many stories use the hero's journey formula but it's such a, a fantastical way of having carl load up his house or connect his house to a bunch of balloons and fly away so we have things like the ordinary world which is where your your hero your protagonist starts so we see the world around carl with him being the only seemingly the only survivor in this neighborhood in this particular house as everything around him is being reconstructed and people i think was it that uh, moment where it seemed like someone was trying to buy his house off him yeah I got the impression that they yeah. wanted him out. Yeah, because everything was around him. It it just looked to me like it was one of those classic, they're going to construct something, a new shopping mall or new whatever they're building. And then you've got the old people or people who've been there for years and years who are obstructing the major plan. And I feel like usually you're on the side of the people who have lived there for years. But I wonder if... The message in this one was just to kind of things are changing around you and let just let it go happen. yeah this as well yeah there was the they were like we're willing to double your offer this just stubborn Ooh. old man it's been fair like yeah 
yeah, so we see the ordinary world. We then see that the the call to adventure, which is when he has the decision, you know, he's faced with life in a nursing home, which we can already see he doesn't want to do. So he makes the decision, I'm, I'm off, I'm going to fulfill this promise. But then we also get steps like uh, when the hero refuses the call. And in this version, you've got uh, Russell, who happens to have stole away. And then Carl does plan to take him back home until they get into the storm which carries them away and like crosses them over the threshold which is where on that hero's journey there is no turning back so you get to a point where you can't turn back even if you wanted to then we get into like the later parts of the story which we'll talk more about but it's just interesting to see see the steps basically in this film but in something Mm -hmm. where that has such meaning such emotion is just so creative and yeah so it just shows you can follow a formula and I think all Pixar are so good at that but then make that formula unique make it speak to different emotions as well I think as well on that like something Pixar do really well with this sort of stuff is like somehow make something so abstract feel so grounded so it's like like this is super unrealistic a house going up in balloons but it somehow feels very realistic and grounded even though it doesn't make any logical sense in our world. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And that's like, that's the, the great thing about stories is you can do that if you do it right. And another part of the hero's journey is where the main character, your protagonist, will meet the mental character. Uh, and just as I was putting the notes together, I was just thinking like, is, is Russell the, the mental character in this, even though he's eight? Because he, he kind of shows... Carl what he needs or where he needs to get to I think well as the film ended I was like thinking about how beautiful like their relationship is and just how much it was like how a relationship should be really super healthy and and learning something from each other this is like a bit of give and take on both sides and that they both just really help each other grow and and find that um, like friendship within like with with each other in a way that they both kind of mentor each other I guess so because like even if as I say like Russell could feel that mental role he's, he doesn't do it knowingly he's just who he is as a character and like you say the relationship they have just means that Carl because Carl learns from Russell and then their relationship sort of grows and uh, becomes close over the time so yeah russell's an interesting character what happened to russell's dad because i don't quite pick that up yeah i don't think it was unless i missed it, it was never explained exactly what happened i think it was just he has is an absentee father mm. but russell still feels because that, that was russell's whole thing is like i want this badge obviously yeah. to complete my sash but also because it will get me to that ceremony and then maybe my dad will be there which is really sad. me, it sounded like he was just like really busy. And then because there's the point where he's like, there's a woman's name said. I can't remember the name, but Russell's just like, that she's not my mum. So oh, like yeah. the story that I put together from the little information we had <laughs> was that something happened to Russell's mum and then his dad like remarried or whatever, got a new partner. But it's like, then really absent because maybe Russell reminds him too much of the mum. Oh, okay. And then <laughs> it's just like an absent, busy father. That's the story that I got 
from it, from the okay. little information we had. <laughs> but I feel like it's up for interpretation. I yeah. feel like it's purposely made like that so that you as the viewer can kind of put a personal story on it and feel a bit more connected to it. Like it opens it up for that opportunity. Yeah, I love that. I love how Taddy's just gone, okay, so maybe the dad can't look at Russell because he reminds him so much of the mother. And I'm kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. When he could just be just a, a waste of space. <laughs> or yeah. Or <laughs> be dead. And I was thinking, is the dad dead? And is the 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 woman that he references, is that a foster mother? Has he gone to live with somebody else? And they haven't told him what's happened to the dad yet. So, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. It's all Russell theories. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like it because they, they give you enough to get the emotional beat of Russell needs Carl, essentially. And, you know, he's missing something but then leave enough to interpretation. So, you know, you can kind of put your own spin on what might have happened. But isn't the... Because when Carl says... I've forgotten the woman's name, but he mentioned the name. He's like, oh, you call your mother by your first name? And he's like, yeah, she's not my mother. Is that the same woman at the end? That's what I was wondering. Because otherwise, just just some random lady, right? So I have two theories of who that lady is. It's either that person or it's like um, Carl's like carer. <laughs> right. If he, I don't know, like if he's now in the the uh, in the home, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's uh, like okay. a nurse from the home. That was like the two options that I had. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sure somewhere there's a, like a Reddit thread with theories on uh, Russell's, yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, Russell's background. So uh, answers on a postcard or just send us a link or something. Uh, so we have a, a film with a lot of meaning and a lot of symbols. And I was like thinking about what the creators of a story have put in because everything is intentional. Like everything is, is there for a reason. It serves a purpose. And we've spoken about that opening uh, montage, which is like the purpose of like emotionally connecting us to the rest of Carl's journey. So we've got that. I mean, that's a very big symbol, but then we also have things like Russell's merit badge, like his sash has a hole in it. That's like the last badge where Russell as a character almost has a, a hole uh, in him that he's trying to fill. There's even moments where along the journey, you see like Carl will look up at the house, obviously because it's, it's floating, but he's talking to it as if he's talking to Ellie. So she's closely ident- like tied to the house, but also being up in, in the heavens. And one I particularly like is that crossing the heart, like that takes on that great significance as it goes, because it starts off between Carl and Ellie, but then it's almost passed on to Carl and Russell yeah yeah i definitely did notice that and pick up on that and it's kind of cool how you get these symbols in the films and they're repeated so it's like when they're repeated it's like they they take on that meaning and you can transfer the meaning from different situations but you know what it's about so i quite like that one uh, and we had a lot of color this being an animation and this being a pixar animation in particular i feel they always have good use of color and I guess it's something I've tried to take more notice on since 
Uh, this is a while back now, but I know we had Rena McKeith on different animation episodes and with her being an, an art director as a particularly keen eye for that. So I remember just her just breaking things down. So now I'm like trying to look at what I might have missed otherwise. So uh, there's a lot of different like color symbolism here where, you know, we start off with like black and white. So that, you know, puts us in the past black and white footage. And then like a young Carl is the first thing that we see in full color, bringing us to the present. But in things like, you know, Carl is associated with balloons pretty quickly, but specifically the color blue. And then Ellie is associated with magenta. So Carl has the blue balloon. Ellie, when we first see her, has that sort of magenta bow in her hair. But then as we go through the montage, there's more bits of magenta and even like her her funeral, which is very colorful, filled with different colors, but like overall with magenta. And then even like later on in the film, you see like uh, up in the sky around the house, like magenta is used to sort of tie to uh, Ellie. So it was just like really interesting use of color there. Yeah. Well, I did notice a lot. Well, not a lot of color, but I noticed the lack of color in some bits. After Ellie's death. Yeah. And then there's a... It becomes duller. And then they do it again when Russell's given his sash with all the badges on to Carl. And then Carl goes and sits inside and sits on his chair and is like reminiscing before he opens the book. It's so void of colour. It goes really dull there. Oh, is that when he gets the house to the falls? and? Yeah. It really sort of like helps to highlight that this is a sad moment, even though you know, completed the task mm. at hand, but it's not, that's not what, it's not the purpose, you know, not fulfilled. Yeah, it's definitely like, it's not what he, not what he needs. Mm. Yeah, so you kind of see it there and then you, see, yeah, see it like in the immediate aftermath of Ellie dying. I guess when we meet old Carl, everything's quite grey as well, until Russell shows up because Russell, pretty bright and he has like a orange, not, not orange, yellow thing going on like his his uniform and uh, he's quite so bright and bubbly and everything like that uh, so yeah he's kind of like that use of color to like associate different feeling different emotions with different characters and moments uh, in the story also kevin's quite colorful very colorful yeah <laughs> actually yeah we'll talk about kevin because kevin and the introduction of some of the other characters come at a moment i was talking about the hero's journey so there's a moment where after you've crossed the, the threshold to so that point of no return, you start meeting the uh, what's known as the the test, the allies and enemies. And that's where we get the call. Well, they land not quite where they need to be. So that's the, they need to go on that journey still. But then they meet like allies in Doug and Kevin and enemies in, in Carl Montz. And that takes them to... As Carl is going on this like internal journey, this emotional change, where he meets his hero basically, and but then sees actually that's not what heroes aren't what they're always cracked up to be basically. So, um, I mean, we can talk about the characters because what we have in this story is quite a it's a relatively small cast of characters. It's quite tight in that sense, but everyone everyone links to Carl, so everyone is there to lead Carl to realize ultimately like what is worth saving and when it's time to let go of things that are not healthy to cling on to so we have carl who is steadfast in this in this goal like you need to get this house 
to Paradise Valley, fulfill this task. But then he meets Charles Muntz, so his one-time hero, who he discovers has been clinging on to this, I'm going to clear my name, I'm going to get this bird. And for, I don't know, however many decades, I don't know how that age gap works, because <laughs> <laughs> he, he was already like, you know, when Carl was 10, and he was already... But anyway, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Um, <laughs> he's smart and yeah, yeah, he did push-ups very and healthy. healthy diet. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He lived a long time in the jungle. I mean, he made dogs be able to talk. So <laughs> true. He gave dogs speech. So <laughs> so like his role in in the story. So he's the antagonist, but he's there to show Carl the extreme of where he's going because he's clung on to what should have been let go ages ago, and he's become obsessed. So he's he's also gone from exploring for like discovery's sake to exploring for ego's sake as well mm. so he's an interesting mm, character can i i do feel that a certain amount of like sympathy for him because bird was real and his entire career was trashed in a second because they didn't <laughs> think that the bird was real and i feel like can we take a moment to feel sorry for this guy who was an explorer? I'm assuming because it's not it's not an easy thing to do. So that that's really what your life's been about or built up to be about, and you want to be an explorer. And then you make this discovery, which is monumental, and all of a sudden, all of that is in the bin now. And everyone thinks that you're a fraud. Everyone thinks you're a fake. And you know you're not a fraud or a fake. And your name was once in the history books for being a hero. And now it's going to be a, a disgrace. And wouldn't you want to try and save your name? Because that, that's going to live on, especially with explorers. I'm sure that they, they want their names to live on. That's why they're doing half of the stuff that they're doing. And now his name's going to live on as some fraud. I kind of feel like I, I get what his motivation was why he didn't want to let that go see so i felt sorry for him in the montage bit when (laughs) his name originally gets sullied and then you're like oh like that's such a shame like and the and the film kind of makes gives you this impression that he like died on that last great adventure trying to prove himself right but then it's like you've literally had a whole lifetime to get get over it and you could have made some more amazing discoveries between then and now (laughs) and been known for that I mean you got dogs to be able to talk you could have come back with that and been like (laughs) couldn't get the bird but here's some talking dogs and I feel like everyone would forget about it <laughs> That's a good point. A good point. Yeah. However, I'm not having it. I'm not I'm not going down in the history books as a fraud when I wasn't lying. I wasn't. <laughs> These people are gonna know they my name. Yeah, <laughs> I gonna... wasn't lying. But I guess it's now whatever whatever year it is, you could have just took a photo and Take sent it back to yeah. everybody. You didn't really so there was loads of oh sorry i didn't mean to cut you off but there was loads of other explorers <laughs> that have also seen the bird but he killed <laughs> so he could have proved that he wasn't a fraud but he was like no i must be the one to bring it back <laughs> that is true now that point i'll go with you yeah. <laughs> that's true yeah, I guess then there's why he's in the villain role because he's he's lost his mind and he's lost perspective as well. Because I guess because that's what Carl learns when before it's too late that 
like go and have a new adventure. And mm. that's ultimately what he does. Technically before, well, no, he does fulfill his, his thing, but his original idea, but he still is given that chance to let go and, and embrace, you know, the adventure that he's been on and the ones to come. Whereas Charles is like, there is all about his bird. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else matters. So then along the way, and another ally I mentioned is Doug. Who... Best character. <laughs> <laughs> so Doug is uh, the first, yeah, he's the first talking dog they meet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he's kind of, he's similar to Russell in a way, because he's with Carl, uh, sorry, he's with Charles and the group. I don't know how he finds his way so far away. I guess because he's he looking got for the bird. Off. Yeah, so yeah, he's he looking get, for the he, bird, isn't he? He got sent off by the uh, the alpha dog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they wanted to get rid of him because they thought he was annoying and wasn't. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Um, poor dog. Wasn't competent so, enough. Yeah. So he gets sent away and then attaches himself to Carl and kind of Carl is the new master, even though Carl doesn't want, but he's just relentless in that <laughs> you're the new master. Uh, I'm here with you, whether you like it or not. I don't know that that dynamic between. I almost, I almost feel sorry for Carl in a sense because he's got Russell to deal with and he's got Doug to deal with and then he's got Kevin, Kevin. <laughs> too. That's a lot. That's a lot. There's a lot of happy to, to deal with. I think Doug is the best portrayal of a dog that talks in TV or in, <laughs> in like visual moving picture. Yeah. Um, you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the words. Like, but yeah. Right, so, what did you like about Doug in particular? Because oh, he's just so dog. <laughs> like, he's so dog. I'm like, I can, I can see just, I mean, I think I love the way the dogs are just in this anyway. But <laughs> Doug's just this like dog dog that's just like, hello. I love you. <laughs> and I'm going to try my best to do my best. <laughs> and, the, and it's that voice. The voice is just like the perfect words coming out of this yeah. dog's mouth. I just, oh, just every moment. Doug is just joy. Doug is pure joy. Because whereas like, Russell's are obviously very happy and but it's still that, I don't know how to put it. Has like sadness and but Doug is just hope, like all round hope. No matter what hardship mm. it Doug faces, it's like, no, I'm gonna do my best. I'm we're gonna make it work. And everything's gonna turn out okay. And we just have to stick together and it'll all be okay. It's fine. We'll find a way. We'll figure it out. Yeah, he's <laughs> pure then, like present. He's in yeah. the moment. And then the moment that Doug becomes Alpha as well. Oh, I was rooting for Doug. Yeah. I, I did like the, the train of thought of the dog because they'll be talking. I think Doug did it and then the <laughs> other dogs did it in Black School. Oh, ball. I, I won the ball. Yeah. Yes. I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was just it's funny because they all did that as well. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, some of the other dogs are like, Doug's a simple, simple dog. Um, but the other dogs are quite like intelligent for a dog, and I mean they cook and they, they clean and they yeah fly planes and <laughs> like they're very very much sort of like high intelligence, mm. high capabilities, but are still d distracted by squirrels and 
and balls cool. and treats. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, treat, they're like, treats, treats, treats. Oh my God. It's just so, uh, they make me laugh so much. The dogs and this is so funny. And I think there's one moment where one of them goes, I hate squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> it was a squirrel joke, but I can't remember it. It was <laughs> when the squirrel dies or something. It's like, that's funny because the squirrel's dead. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the whole joke was a squirrel went to a tree and then <laughs> forgot to store their acorns or something and then he died <laughs> and it's funny because he died <laughs> and I think Carl's just like um <laughs> yeah. uh, get it <laughs> right <laughs> what's also interesting about Doug and Russell why I say they're similar in that they have uh, they have the same story beat because when Carl first takes off and then there's a knock on the door and then like it's Russell and he's, he's stowed away. And then uh, Doug has a similar one, like second time that Carl is off, like they have yeah. the same story beat. So I think he's like, I was hiding under your porch because I love you. Yeah. Can I say? <laughs> it's like, that doesn't really make any sense, Doug, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> In you go. And another interesting character we mentioned is Kevin. I don't know, I just, when I first... Like introduced to Kevin's just like a chaos agent. <laughs> it's just <laughs> random, like running around and uh, not talking and doing all sorts of random stuff. But he brings the he, so he brings the antagonist into the plot, but it also provides Carl with a major test because you get to that point where Carl has to decide. I think it's the first time that Charles has found out about Kevin through Russell, follows them through the, the tracker in Doug's collar gets Kevin and then lights uh, Carl's house on fire was kind of an extreme step. It was like, it's kind yeah. of a jerk. But then as like the protagonist, Carl is faced with a decision. Does he stick to his original plan and save the house, get the house to where it needs to be? Or does he help to save Kevin? And he f- essentially fails the overall test because he chooses the house, lets Kevin be taken and that is a big moment in the film and it's kind of because of that uh, Kevin character so yeah I think you just um, sort of highlighted something for me as well about this film and one of the messages because Carl's constantly faced with a choice and repeatedly misses the calling Mm. and I think it also gives this message of like there's always another opportunity so even if you miss one there will be another one so it's okay to not quite get the message (laughs) and and, and recognize a call then like you can it will come around again Mm. yeah and you kind of see that in in good stories not necessarily in all stories but in good stories where because your character starts off with some kind of flaw some kind of thing that they are they need to overcome and in this case, it's like moving away from the trauma and, and having new adventures for Carl. And you have moments in the story where the character is is tested and they have to choose and you see them fail until they initially, they eventually understand, they learn. So, you know, I talked about like the hero's journey. So you have a, a moment where uh, what's known as approaching the innermost cave. So it's the moment where they, you're getting close to that that. Uh, that moment of learning and, and change and discovery. And we see that with Carl because when he, so he first lets Russell be, sorry, not Russell, uh, Kevin be taken in order to save the house. 
But then when we get to the point where Carl is or has completed the journey, so he is where he always said he wanted to get to, realizes it's not enough. He has to go after Russell, who's decided to go after Kevin, and he empties the house. So it's kind of like a, I mean, we talked about symbols. It's kind of like a symbolic thing of letting go. He, he empties the house so that it can be light enough to be carried by the, the balloons that are mm. left. And that's the first thing of him learning to let go and then continue on this new journey. It's also weird, Kevin, or not weird, it's like just funny because, oh, Kevin's a, Kevin's a girl. <laughs> but we're going to keep calling her Kevin. Exactly. <laughs> that was uh, hilarious. Like, yeah, Which I Kevin, like. I, Kevin's still the name. Yeah, it's Kevin. Yeah. It kind of makes you wonder, like, what, what is in a name? It's like, why do we have male, female names? Well, yeah, that's, that's a whole mm-hmm. other podcast. But uh, <laughs> I did find that funny. Just we're, we're sticking with Kevin. Yeah. It's funny as well because. Well, not funny, but it's interesting. Kevin's sort of the only non-speaking mm. character that is other than like background characters when we're in in the city. But in terms of like characters with any kind of action, Kevin's the only non-speaking. Like all the dogs speak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's yeah. Was there a character that anyone identified with most? Probably Doug. <laughs> Just constant source of joy living in the moment. And that like relentless, I'm doing this because I think I should do it. (laughs) (laughs) Regardless of what my peers say. (laughs) Yeah, I think maybe maybe Carl then because of the stubbornness and missing cues. (laughs) Just like, move on, move on. Yeah, I, I feel you on that. This is like I felt something similar when we did Soul. I just felt like mm. the main character in there, mostly for us. It just like wow, that that hit me. Like you are speaking to to me right now, and I felt that with Carl was like he's like this guy who just that ability to always missing that ability to just drop this and and move on to the new thing. And sometimes when you see things in story, it becomes quite becomes quite apparent. And that's what I love about stories, like good stories that make you think about uh, whatever the theme is. It's like you can see how it can apply in 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 life. So for better or for worse, I did identify with Carl, but also like I want to be Russell. That's my, that's where I need to, that's my journey. I need to get to Russell. <laughs> uh, although yellow is not my favorite color, but uh, I'll take that. All right. So also want to talk about themes. Uh, I did think about this. We talked about the, the jar and smashing the jar. And I felt that represented this idea of real life getting in the way of dreams. I guess you did. I don't know if you saw it that way, but you have this, yeah, that, that repeated sequence where Carl and Ellie start off with this dream. We're going to do this thing we thought of when we were kids and then just real life hit. So you have like flat tires, home repairs, medical bills. So they never get to take the trip. And I know the film, I guess, ultimately was about moving past that. but in that moment there was that feeling of like oh man that's quite sad of just real life getting away of dreams and i feel for you know anyone who's taking on creative ventures can understand that to a sense yeah i heard that bit it's <laughs> <laughs> so like oh yeah been there all there constantly there because <laughs> <laughs> how do you push past that and not let it I think what was beautiful about it, though, is that that didn't get in the way of their 
their relationship and their happiness. Once Ellie was gone, obviously Carl lost that. And then obviously ultimately realizes that did still have a great adventure with Ellie. But yeah, I I felt like a lot of mixed messages from it. Not mi- mixed. I received a lot of mixed messages from it, I should say. Yeah, it's a tough one. I felt for Carl, similar to, I mentioned Soul, because sort of the message there is it's it's the journey. It's not the destination. And here you have Ellie, even, well, I guess, while she was alive, but we get the message after she has passed where she has, she's clocked onto that. It's the, it's the journey. Yes, we had this specific idea of taking that, the clubhouse to uh, Paradise Falls. And yes, I saved these pages because these are all the amazing adventures that we're going to have. But then she was able to sort of adapt and say, like, the amazing adventure is the marriage, is the journey that gone with Carl was. Carl was <laughs> like, nope. Paradise Falls, that's it. That's what we've got to fill these pages with and not being able to adapt that. that. And then that's a similar lesson that the, the character in Soul kind of learns by the end. It's like, it's the, it's the little things, there's a journey along the way. Uh, it's a tough lesson to, to pick up on sometimes. And then the other theme that we discovered along the way is this importance of appreciating love and friendship. So Carl is, is an introvert. So we see him at the beginning of the film like he he doesn't talk hardly i mean obviously that whole montage sequence no one talks but i think carl as a character just it doesn't talk when he first meets ellie and clearly someone not able to like fully express his thoughts and emotions and obviously comes across as uh like very grumpy but he constantly like dismisses like the opportunity to share his problems with uh with others and that's an interesting journey that he has to go on as well as like being able to open up to I guess Russell in particular but even being able to accept Doug because Doug's like I'm basically I'm, I'm giving you all the all the love I'm just like giving it to you just I've just met you but I'm just giving it here it is and Carl's like no I don't want it I don't want it I don't want it and then eventually accepts it and then becomes a different person and then uh, yeah, and then I guess the main theme is knowing when to let go. So we we literally see Carl tied to the house and the promise he made to Ellie. So he's, he's attached to it, he's carrying it around. And then I mentioned that moment where he discards like the possessions and the furniture and everything. So that's like on the way to you know realizing that he can he can let go. And then once Ellie essentially relieves Carl of the obligation to realize their shared dream with that message in the book, then Carl becomes free of the house. So then it's because there's that moment towards the end where it does drift away, but he's like, okay, it can go. And then I'm, I'm okay with that. So Carl's overall Carl's journey is, oh, I, I felt knowing when it's time to let go. I mean, he, I guess he technically learns it too late, but he learns it when he needs to learn it. So he <laughs> learns when to let go. So yeah, there was that that theme as well. I don't know how you felt about Carl's journey and particularly the relationship between Carl and Ellie over that journey. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really think I have much to add, add on that. Yeah, well, it stood out to me and it's like, uh, yeah, just something that I was, just, I was going to say walked away. I, I just 
continue to sit and flip the channel after I watch this. But metaphorically speaking, walked away with uh, and thinking about. And then just going back to the hero's journey that I started is we have moments like the... So after I mentioned the innermost cave, so so dealing with that that thing that you need to uh, wrestle with, we have uh, the ordeal. So like facing that life or death crisis. So his fight with Charles Montz, who it was his hero and now sees kind of represents the extreme of what not to do. Then we get stages like the the reward. So in this case, the Carl's mission kind of changes to Russell's mission, mission, which is protecting Kevin and her babies. So they eventually get that. We then see the road home, which is where Carl loses the house, but he gains new friends. Now with new a new worldview. And then we see a resurrection, whereas Carl is now values this new adventure and the opportunity to take this new adventure thanks to Ellie's message. And then the later stages of the hero's journey, uh, the hero typically returns. So we get the return and we now see a, a new changed Carl who is essentially the surrogate father to Russell. And the other thing I notice is that when we first meet old Carl, he has that uh, that walker, that walking stick mm. thing. And then he leaves it by the end. I think when mm. Kevin coughs it up again, he's like, oh, you, you keep it. It's a, it's a gift. And yeah, he leaves it. And I'm pretty sure when he goes to pin the badge on Russell, he also doesn't have it. So he's kind of like freed of it. Yeah. Sort of got rid of his crutch, his emotional crutch. Yeah. yeah. Is there something... The, is there something in the um Russell saying to Carl when he's describing the game that he used to play with his dad and one will look out for blue cars and one will look out for red cars and he says something like oh um it's my favorite part even though it's boring or something and then the whole theme of the what Carl was holding on to was like this massive adventure and twice so you've got you've got the car game which is just boring but that's where they're bonding and you've got the the mm. book that he's looking through when he gets to get to to paradise falls and it's just moments with him and ellie which could be quite, quite boring but it's just kind of again appreciate the things appreciate the smaller things because they're the adventures there appreciate the the car game which is just counting cars because that is the time that he valued the most because he's just bonding with his dad and then you see that at the end he's bonding with Carl so I guess there's something in that yeah yeah there's so many moments that just tie so well into the themes of the story yeah because we get that I guess kind of like foreshadowing because yeah Russell mentions it earlier and then we see it but instead of uh, Russell's dad who apparently no one sees it's with Carl so that's his new position as as the surrogate yeah. father man this film again I need to I need to go watch it again favorite moments any final thoughts I guess start with favorite moments does anyone have any particular moments scenes that we might not have touched on that they enjoyed I briefly mentioned it earlier but the the moment when um the sort of the alpha dog gets put in the cone of shame and, uh, <laughs> and then uh, all the other dogs just like start laughing and then turn to Doug as the alpha and he's like why are you asking me like the alpha and he's like oh 
<laughs> in the moment that it like dawns on them that they now see him as the alpha. I just think that whole moment is just funny and cute all in one. Yeah, I like that. How about you, Lovely? I have to say it was that that stupid joke about squirrel because it just <laughs> it just came from nowhere. I was just not expecting that joke. <laughs> it just it you know when you're enjoying something for one reason and just something else happened and it was that, that for me it was just like i didn't expect to laugh so hard at that moment it was such a stupid joke of yeah <laughs> i really loved the, like i i loved the first 10 minutes obviously as i said and i liked the rest of the movie but that that's cool just so but that joke <laughs> i really enjoyed it being <laughs> yeah uh, i think i made a note because like at the beginning where we see young Carl, and I mentioned him being an introvert. I think I just like the idea of like the introverted protagonist, uh, just because I see myself as an introvert, and it's not always something that's seen in Western stories as like protagonist being the introvert. And whenever I think about it, I think about like more like anime and manga, or something from Miyazaki's work of putting the the character who, because Carl is quite doesn't speak, he's quite shy and but ellie's just sort of forceful she's quite a force of nature uh, at the beginning and she even says i think she has a line it's like you don't talk much i mm. like you yeah just i uh, like seeing like the introverted protagonist sort of represented on screen so i quite like that whole early interaction uh with carl and ellie before all the heartbreak comes but then also another thing i wanted to mention is just from a storytelling perspective is it's this is a good example of when you're building a, a character protagonist of the the difference between wants and needs and often in a story what you're trying to do is have a protagonist who wants something so they have a goal but they have a a flaw and to overcome that flaw which is the story they need something but they don't always know what they need so Carl knows that he wants to get to Paradise Falls to complete the promise that he made but what he doesn't know is that he needs to let go and he needs to take on this new adventure and when he does that that's when the story like his story his character arc is complete so yeah if you're making a story basically just take notes of the whole of up and uh and learn from that any final thoughts on this film i think the one thing would be um billyish nature of the pack that's the only other thing that sort of jumped out at me. Doug was kind of like the outcast. Yeah, they did bully. They bullied him a lot, the poor thing. Still positive. Yeah. Go, Doug. Go, Doug. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let us know what you think. Did you feel like it should have been a 10 minute film or did you also appreciate uh, the rest of the, I don't know, was it hour and a half? Thing. let us know what you think feedback at mymatter.com before we wrap we're going to go into this week's storytelling tip each time we do a deep dive on the podcast i like to pull out a storytelling tip others to consider when making their stories so this is a consideration from someone who also creates stories and likes to learn from the techniques or mistakes of others for today's episode, I wanted to talk about delivering exposition through emotion. So exposition is something that uh, I've spoken about through conflict and action on previous story tips. Check episode 67 and 81. 
or exposition through the use of a clueless character like I did in 79. Like we're doing enough of these, I can refer to other episodes now. But for today, I'm going to talk about another way to deliver exposition in your story, which is emotion. Uh, so as a reminder, exposition is providing the essential background information about your story that your audience needs to know. So this could relate to characters or the larger world of your story. It sounds easy to do, but the challenge is that if you provide too little of a character's backstory or background details, the audience will be confused. But include too much exposition and the audience will be bored and even switch off. So to put it simply, good exposition informs the audience without them noticing too much, whereas bad exposition is transparent in its attempt to tell the audience information and at worst slows your story down. So we've covered uh, the new and good Suicide Squad on the podcast, but the original and bad film sees Rick Flagg introduce a new character, Katana, to the squad. And unprovoked, he then proceeds to lay out all her capabilities and powers in 15 seconds, which I will quote. He says, this is Katana. She's got my back. She can cut all of you in half with one sword stroke, just like mowing the lawn. I would advise you not getting killed by her. Her sword traps the souls of its victim. Uh, He delivered it a little better than that, but not much better. And that is the problem. So this is a very static and functional way to provide information about a character and doesn't really do much. It's not the only example of bad exposition done in that film, but the point is it undermines any tension that could have been built up and released over the course of the story. Another example is in the finale of the Marvel series Loki, which I'll try and dance over spoilers, but it demonstrates the the worst of exposition in my mind by slowing the story down to deliver information needed to introduce Kang and his wider importance to the MCU. It's basically an info dump that isn't even necessarily relevant for that specific story being told at the time, or at least all of it isn't. So all this isn't to say that you shouldn't use exposition in your story. You will need to convey information to your audience, whether it's something that speaks to the motivation of your characters or the environment that your story takes place in, uh, fictional or otherwise. But it's all in the delivery and you want to avoid exposition that feels forced and is essentially just two characters telling each each other things that they already know. So whether your story is character-driven or plot-driven, the audience largely identifies with stories through characters' emotion. So knowing what emotional journey your characters are on and why the stakes matter to them allows us, the audience, to connect with them on a deeper and meaningful level. So once we're connected with the characters, we're more invested in the journey and that's what Up does so well. So that married life montage is just a masterclass in non-verbal storytelling and its effect is to bond us very closely with Carl so that we understand his pain and actions that he takes throughout the rest of the story. And it also means that we feel more for him when he finally does learn to let go and move on to new adventures. And it's not the only positive example in Pixar. So if you've seen Finding Nemo, you'll see the clownfish Marlin loses mate Coral in a barracuda attack, along with all but one of his children. So seeing that experience, we're bonded to him and his journey to find Nemo. So how can you use emotion to deliver exposition in your story? So here are four things to keep in mind. Number one is determine your character's fatal flaw. As you put your story together, take time to establish what your character's deepest flaw is. So this is the aspect of their psyche holding them back and what they must overcome to win in the end, whatever winning means for the character. So it usually comes from some kind of trauma and it may or may not be explicitly shown during a story, 
but it needs to be there in the profile of the character. Number two is identify what your character wants and what they need. And remember that these are two different thing, things. What a character consciously wants is not often what they subconsciously need to become whole again. So it's clear that Carl wants to fulfill his promise to his late wife and will do anything to achieve that. But what he needs is to let go of the trauma, trauma and move on to new adventures. Number three is map out their emotional journey and the change they make. So as you plan out your story, take note of where your character's emotional state changes and how that change impacts their journey. So over the course of Up, we get to see young hopeful Carl, old stubborn Carl, a conflicted Carl, and a reinvented Carl. So these are all different emotional beats and are triggered by different characters and scenarios and all could be mapped out as you piece your plot together. And last but not least, number four, show, don't tell. So even when working in non-visual mediums, always take care to avoid info dumps. So show your characters taking actions and making decisions according to their worldview and emotional state. So don't just tell us what they've done or what they're thinking as it makes it harder to connect with them. Let the audience see what they go through and give us a chance to make the connection ourselves. So that's the tip for this episode. Let us know what you think if you're making your own story or have your own tip. Send us your thoughts through email, feedback at mymatter.com or drop them in our Discord. Yeah, so we've had the wonderful Lara Lee here with us today. So would you like to give our audience a little bit more about yourself and any latest news or interesting projects you want to share with us? Mm, I feel obligated to. Um, I am, I, in my day job, I am a media program lawyer at ITV and we are soon launching in November ITVX, um, which there will be a lot more content that ITV is going to push out in different kind of levels. And um, part of that is um, different tailored channels. So we are, and my team is currently going through thousands of hours of, of content that we're going to put on ITVX, including hours upon hours of anime. So when that... Is it anime? Yes, anime. Because it's not, it's it's, mm. it's basically nothing like linear kind of broadcast ITV. Um, this is everything that ITV wouldn't necessarily do on the channel. They will be doing on this ITVX kind of new. That's what the X stands for. Yes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so there'll be lots and lots of anime on there and lots of different kind of shows. And there's even, so we'll have like specific channels. So there's even a Christmas channel, which just shows Christmas movies all the time. So um, I don't know why I'm plugging this. I'm not getting any extra payment ITV. <laughs> but yeah, check it out. In November, we are launching. You had me at anime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank you for letting us let us know that. Um, I'm sure we'll be diving into some anime. Um. <laughs> or Coronation Street, like whatever you want. Yeah, evil. Yeah. <laughs> all the Emmerdales and Coronation Streets and all of that kind of stuff. So, I'm in for everybody. Uh, yeah, thanks, Larry, for uh, the uh, infomercial and also giving us your uh, <laughs> thoughts on uh, today's film. Thanks for joining us. 
No worries. It's been fun. Hope to be here again soon. Cool. Uh, we'll we'll make that happen. And uh, if you enjoy, enjoyed listening to this episode of Story X Story, uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star rating and review wherever you're able to do that. It helps us reach new listeners and fans of story discussion. Don't forget to check out our own stories on the My Matter website. So we've got a number of manga titles available, including our latest release, Serious Through the Fog. You can check all that out at myamada.com forward slash manga. And you can join our Studio 77 Discord and check out the Studio 77 membership for exclusive access to gamepad events and content from the Myamada universe. And you can check out our latest events at gamepad.events, including our Do I Look Like a Gamer video game representation campaign, which we have one more event coming up. So this is a campaign that we launched so that future generations of talent will know that there's a place for them in the video games industry. We want to empower them to be an active part of shaping the future of that industry. So we have one more event, but you can also check the website looklikeagamer.com to see the 40 players and makers that made up the photo campaign that we launched uh, at the beginning of the year. Uh, And keep an eye out for news on different activities especially as we go into next year but come to this last event uh, October 26th so uh, get your tickets at looklikeagamer.com we release new episodes of the podcast on Thursdays and those include creator interviews video game discussions and deep dives into stories across a pop culture like these you can always give us a shout directly our email address is feedback at myamada.com and our website with links to subscribe is myamada.com forward slash story x story so thank you for tuning in until next time stay safe and remember that being able to let go is key to fulfilling a squirrel (laughs) so take care everyone (laughs) 